want to make a podcast, let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters. And it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. You're listening to the Afterburn Podcast, episode number 48. The trick for me is to realize that people really aren't paying that much attention to you. The biggest <laughs> epiphany I've had in, in middle age, truly, Rain, I don't know if you've seen the same thing, is that good or bad, people, people I mean, everybody in their own heads, they're the star of their own movie. We are all watching a movie where we are the star and that's what we're focused on. And so whether we have the most compelling, insightful thing to say in the world or we're making this huge failure, people, we just don't have a role in other people's heads very often. Right. Not to say that we shouldn't act to connect with people. We, we really should. But we should stop being so self-absorbed. And it was these words I needed to hear, too, and realize that just put it out there. It's freeing. It's liberating. When you realize people aren't paying attention, you may as well do what you care about the most and tr go after your fears because you're going to hold yourself accountable. Nobody else will. Altitude. Altitude. Tower at 26 is release you. Runway 4 left, wind 0, 4 0 at 5. Clear for takeoff. Sea tide. Altitude is zero eyes. We're clear for takeoff. Clear for the airspace. Fire protector. What's up and thanks for listening in today. My guest is Joel Neeb. You'll hear me call him Thor. He's a former Eagle driver. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about flying today or his Eagle days for that matter. But Thor is a stage four cancer survivor. He successfully pivoted into an entirely new career field after leaving the Air Force and actually just recently completed a, a new transition into a new business venture. For those listening, I think you'll find a lot of great little nuggets in there, especially if you're looking to transition to a different career in life or some kind of transition in life. Thor has done it and he's beaten odds in the face of, I would say, some significant adversity. Before we jump into the podcast, as always, I'd like to thank my Patreon supporters. They keep the podcast going. They help it grow. If you're looking to support the podcast or looking for additional content, you can swing over to theacronpodcast.com. There's links to Patreon. The Patreon supporters get access to episodes early. They get access to There I Was stories, as well as additional content. So again, if you're looking to support the podcast, looking for additional content, you can swing over to theafterburnpodcast.com. You can find links to Patreon over there. But as always, I'd like to thank those who've just taken the time to drop a rating review over on iTunes and now Spotify. That helps the podcast and the algorithms show it to more people and the podcast grow. All right, enough of all the admin stuff. Let's jump into the podcast with Thor. Boom. All right. Well, Thor, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Happy to have you on. This is one of the things that people never see, I've mentioned it a couple of times, you and I initially uh, tried to schedule this back in January, right? And then COVID ran through, I think, everyone's house. And then I'm traveling, you're traveling, you start a new job. But here we are, it's 
in the first week in March when we finally make it happen. It's a scheduling, it's a scheduling nightmare, but we, we're here. So thanks for taking the time. I know you're really busy. We're going to hear what you're doing now because a new venture. So thanks for joining me on the podcast. Happy to have you here. Yeah, my privilege, Rain. And you know, I've been following you for a couple of years and I love what you're doing for the community, uh, for the flying community, for advocating on behalf of the skills that we develop as pilots and, and how those translate into other things. So really excited to be chatting with you today. Yeah, well, thanks again. Brian. Again, busy. I know you got a few things going on, but with that leading into, I always ask everyone kind of for the 30 to 60 second elevator pitch of who they are, like your your journey. So if you can encapsulate all that and then what you're doing today, and then we'll roll into it. Yeah, so- So graduated from the Air Force Academy in 1999, went off to pilot training. I was assigned to be a FAPE right off the bat. So I came right back into the same pilot training course that I just graduated from and became an instructor. Then I was an F-15 pilot. Uh, Then I found out I had stage four cancer. And so I was actually out of the cockpit for a while, told that really strong chance that I would uh, not make it through this. Uh, Just, you know, typical stage four. I, I of course, uh, did, and that was 10 years ago, and I'm doing great today, but it also became the crossroads for my life then as I I elected to uh, leap out of the cockpit into a new chapter. I was able to continue flying and get back in the jet, but I took this as an opportunity to redefine myself, reinvent what I wanted to do with a second chance, jumped into the business world. I joined this amazing company called Afterburner that leverages what we did as fighter pilots, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, militaries across the world, and helps to translate that to business success in the boardroom for companies. I spent about nine years with that team. And then now I work for the fourth largest software company in the world in the office of the CEO, VMware. And uh, it's an incredible role and, and really excited about that as well. And talk about a transition. So we're going to we're gonna peel back the onion and go through all that. But I kind of, maybe now we'll jump into what you're doing now. How has that translated from going to a fighter cockpit to working in the business world and being a consultant, going through, digging through businesses, trying to make them more efficient, and then to what you're doing now with VMware? How has that process been? So I'll tell you what, the there's been a common red thread woven in all of my experiences, and that is that there is a system uh, through which we can transform people into teams and do something pretty amazing. And I was exposed to that system, much like uh, I'm sure the majority of your listeners and the pilot training environments. And when I went from driving a car to now flying an airplane faster than the speed of sound, once I got into 38s and close, you know, three feet away from my closest friends. And, and you have this moment where you say, how did this happen? Like you, you, everybody I think has this epiphany and says, what the heck occurred? Cause right. I, there wasn't na- naturally anything specific about me that you would have said, this is the guy that's going to go do this in high school. And yet here I was, and it gave me a great appreciation for that system. And so that type of thinking and that system wove its way through my career ever since. Afterburner was taking a system that we were exposed to, to create elite teams and, and to create outputs and impact along a mission and, and translated that to business. And now today it's about taking a system to transform the 40,000 team members across VMware against their next opportunity, uh, which is to reach the market in a different way uh, for to leverage a digital transformation. I know we'll, we'll talk about the cancer piece and you kind of said that was, hey, this is a second chance to reinvent myself. Was, I mean, the motivation there, because again, 98% of the guys who fly in the Air Force or fly in the you know, military period tend to find themselves in an aviation-related job post-military career. So for you, I mean, you said, was that a conscious decision? Did you even give any consideration to flying post-military or what was kind of the thought process behind that? 
Yeah, I definitely did. Had it not been for cancer, I, I would have probably made my way to 20 years in the military. Um, very strong chance I would have joined the airlines. It was just the, the easy button for my life. I loved what I did. I loved being a pilot. It certainly made sense that I would continue that. The challenge for me and the tension became after I got cancer, one of my great frustrations is that, gosh, I had so many other things I wanted to do with my life and now I'm going to die and I, I'm just going to leave all of those things undone. And I was bitter about that and frustrated about that. And then lo and behold, I get this second chance and I had to say, well, gosh, now I got to hold myself accountable to it. And I, and I say that from the perspective of what a gift it was for me, right? So it's the crossroads of my life. I'm, I'm live a very different life because of that. And, uh, and, and I would look, I would have had a fantastic, very happy life as a, an airline pilot um, and continuing to fly. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, not indicting that in the least. But there is something to be said about completely throwing everything out with the previous chapter and starting over again, particularly if fear is what's holding you back. And for me, fear of not knowing how to make this transition into the business world, fear of what would happen if I failed. All these things were in my mind as, as I'm a young leader of my family and, and I just, you know, I didn't want that risk. And, and then all of a sudden my worst nightmares were coming true. And so you talk about fear. And, and I had to face that. And I said, well, if that if I could face that and my, that was my worst fear coming true, then the possibility of not making it in the business world certainly doesn't really rank that high on my fear scale anymore. And so it became a much more plausible option for me. So you found out you had cancer, you battled cancer and you were still in the Air Force after you recovered and got recalled in the jet. 100 percent. And so when I got when I got cancer, I was going through the interview process for the Thunderbirds and everything was going great. I was the picture of good health. Um, and, and then all of a sudden it's cancer. Um, well, the news went, you probably don't have cancer. Something's wrong with you. We'll figure it out. And uh, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're fine to, uh Oh, it looks like it might be cancer, but I'm sure we caught it early and you're going to be fine to, uh Oh, it's stage four. And it's this, it's called an orphan cancer. We don't really understand that much about it. And, uh, and so now you have 18 months to live. So sorry. Um, you know, start making your final plans. Jeez. How did you process all of that news? And what was the time span of from like, Hey, it's probably just something else to it's cancer and you got 18 months. Yeah, very poorly. I processed it. So March 7th is when we're talking today, this, this journey started to, for me, uh, in January, on uh, pretty much on my wife's birthday, January 25th, 2010. And, uh, and so if you can imagine what you were doing on January 25th of this past year, that's about the amount of time that it took be between everything's going great, trying to be a Thunderbird to, oh my gosh, I'm going to be dead in a couple of months, um, to, to where I was on March 7th. Man, well, how long was the process from, Hey, you have cancer to you were fully recovered. They, they didn't like to use the word recovery. They still won't call me cured because it's stage four. They, they call it no evidence of disease, okay. which is basically a you know, legal way of saying we can't find it. Um, and they just say, go live your life and, and make the most of it. But, but I, I think that's probably good, good advice for anybody, you know, if you, whether or not you've gotten cancer, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a good creed to live by. So they think it's in the rear of a mirror, but I effectively lived for two years with them saying, expect it to come back, like very pessimistic. Wow. When I go to a doc appointment, they'd say, hey, you're good today. Such great news. So happy for you. But, you know, let's let's have the hard conversation. Next time you come here, there's a really strong chance I'll be back. And so just be prepared. If you want to go to Disney World or you want to do something, you've got, you know, another quarter to go make some great memories with your family. You're going to feel great. We're kind of we're managing my expectations that way. 
and, and, and they wanted to make sure they were allowing me to do what I wanted to and what they perceived to be the short life I had left. Gosh, I can't even imagine being in that situation, but it's something that could happen tomorrow to anyone. It is very inspirational because I see your posts, Instagram, like the fitness, the, 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 like the jungle gym, I call it, like you got in your backyard with what, you know, the Ninja Warrior style, like going through it. Like, it looks like you have fully just, I mean, you've gone all in and living life to the fullest, which I think until someone, most people, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it. Like you tend to take things for granted of just how good you have it until like you hit rock bottom. So it's really inspirational to see all the stuff you're doing. And I know it was because of a crossroad in your life, most likely that really, you know, pushed you forward. So it's cool that you're sharing that. And I'm sure a lot of people, me included, we find that inspirational. So, man. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that. Yeah. I made a deal with God when everything went down. I remember there's a great quote that the dying have the most to teach us about life. And I think that's probably true that, uh, you know, I did, we can we can imagine that when uh, when you're dying, all the noise dissolves around you and all the silly things that you were focused on go away. And all you're left with are the things that are the most important and what should have been most important all along. And I, I had the same epiphanies. And I remember thinking, gosh, I wish I had known this beforehand. I would have lived my life differently. And not that I, I didn't live a bad life beforehand, but it just could have been so much more. And, and then I said, if I make it through this, I'm going to share the lessons I, I received in this. And, and so that's, I, I consider that an obligation every day to do yeah, so. That's awesome. Well, Hey, let's back up to the beginning. Where did it all start for you where you want to say, Hey, I want to go in the air force. I want to fly. What was that? Yeah. Moment? So I was uh, a student in Olympia, Washington in high school, uh, just South of Seattle. And I did not have military in my preceding generation. My parents weren't involved in it whatsoever. No answer uncles. My grandfather had gone to West Point. He flew um, in World War II. He's he's one of those initial pilots who got training in his teenage years and uh, and then started flying. So I, I had that in, in my history, but he had passed away years before. And so it's not like this is a conversation we, we'd been having. So it wasn't front of mind for me. Of course, I, I always thought it was an amazing adventure and it would be something incredible to do. And so when the opportunity came up to go to the Air Force Academy, I jumped on it. I, I will say, though, it wasn't my lifelong dream. Like it wasn't I'm, once I got to the academy, I met the people for whom it was their dream. And they could tell you every airplane name and all the specs and all the things about it. And and yeah, I, I just it just wasn't me. That, that yeah. wasn't my calling, I'll say. And, and it was something, a slow burn for me to, to build that desire. <laughs> uh, and then where did you go to pilot training? I went to Columbus Air Force Base in Mississippi. Yeah. So you, you and I both then, right? Then the fapedom of, you know, spending a few extra years there just uh, hanging out. But you got to be a tweet guy, right? I was a tweet fape in beautiful Mississippi. I showed up for pilot training and they said, why don't you stay for a while? And uh, so I ended up spending a couple more years there. Uh, instructing. Learned a lot. My least favorite tour, uh, just because it was the it was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to jump into the fight. 9-11 happened very quickly after that. And uh, and so there were other things I, that I was more excited about. But I'll say I learned so much from that environment. And, and I scaled that and, and bring it all the, every day into what I do now. Yeah, that's awesome. When, yeah, same deal for me being a fape. All I want to do is get into the fight. And I was like, I'm going to miss it all. You know, fast forward, you know, 20 years, we're still at it. So Plenty of fight to be had, right? <laughs> right? Another one's so, about to kick off. Yeah, so don't worry about <laughs> it. It's going to be there, you know, for those who get stuck in fapedom or just waiting to go. It's like, it'll be there. And then obviously on the other side of it, at least for me, the retrospectively, is like all I wanted to do is get in the fight and then kind of look back and like, eh, I don't know if it, I don't know if I, it was worth it. It was a good experience, right? It builds you, 
it's another book up on the shelf, so we're good to go now. But uh, was the Eagle, was that your first choice coming out of being a fate? Yeah, it definitely was. I was really excited to get that opportunity. Um, it just seemed like the, the 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 complete mastery of a craft. And I liked how these pilots were investing every day into, you know, almost being like being samurais of old yeah. and except doing it in the sky. And it, it, I loved all the other missions too. There's great things to be said about every, every airframe, but there's something special about the Eagle and how dominant it was in, along one particular path. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've been in a vault lately. I mean, it's been a while since I have, but uh, I mean, the last red flat or wick support I did uh was Eagle Wick support and they're still using chalkboards. You know, this yeah, this is like 2015. You're like, oh, Ugh. can we can, can we use digital or can we use a whiteboard? But no, I mean, it's impressive to see the amount of detail that go into yeah. like a 4VX TI debrief. You know, it's like it's good to have that craft and that precision. So, where were you flying Eagles at? Uh, Mountain Home, I flew at, oh, no. and then shortly after that, I had the cancer diagnosis, so I was not able to go back to it, but. It was an incredible time. Yeah, man. So what did you, so you got re, but you got recalled after your recovery, correct? Yep. Yeah. So the, the story there is, uh, the air force told me, uh, you'll never fly again. Matter of fact, we're going to medically retire you. And that's, that's a bit of a gift. You should be excited about that. And, and you're from the perspective of your family is going to be taken care of. And right. I, and I did appreciate it from that, uh, perspective, but I wasn't in the, the mindset to give up in any way, let alone be retired. And so I fought the retirement and I was able to stick it through. And then I went to them and said, I'd really like to fly again. And, and now I'm at Randolph and uh, I can go fly 38s okay. and get back in the cockpit. And uh, they said, no, I mean, you, your, your recurrence rate is just way too high and it's just too much of a liability. We don't know what's going to happen to your body. And if you're in shape to do this, you've just been under chemo for the last eight or nine months and we just don't know what'll happen. And so in the background, I was this is kind of one of the things that motivated me and lit a fire under me to um, to prove them wrong um, on my path to trying to live. And it, one of the many things I did just kind of out of spite and anger. And, uh, <laughs> and so I went and worked out as much as I could. And I went back to that medical director's desk as an 06 on our, at our base and uh, in charge of all medical facilities. And, and I brought my PFT scores, my physical fitness score, and it was 100%. So I maxed it. Um, on the, the run and the, the, the physical side as well. And I said, look, I'm, I'm feeling fantastic. I, I scored better than 99% of the other pilots that are flying right now. I'm pretty confident I can go up and do a loop in right. the T-38. So I got back in. I know that it was, had to be an uphill battle and just like the red tape and the bureaucracy that goes into that process because it's not uncommon for guys to go long-term to NIF. So do, you know, they, they lose their, their medical qualification and they're out. And I've heard guys from, you know, they have a head injury, which is like an automatic, like you're probably not coming back, but a minimum of two years, depending on how severe yeah. to cancer. And it is it, watching that process and the frustration those guys go through. I know that had to be a huge uphill battle to go fight, especially like, Hey, it's not happening. And I would imagine there's not too many guys who are in your scenario, right? So there's no precedent yeah. set. And then also the, the leadership's always changing, right? So that medical director, he's probably there two years and does something else. And so there's no real corporate knowledge. So hats off to you for fighting the good fight. I can only imagine, again, the uphill battle that was. So impressive. Thank you. It was a challenge. 
I, I have to say great things about the medical community um, that were supporting me. And I have to say incredible things about the military as I went through this. I was sitting next to people getting chemo that uh, for whose jobs fired them uh, while they're going through this, who were doing, you know, doing oh. their work while they're sitting in that chair. And the Air Force basically said, we're going to fill in the gap that you left behind and pick up the work for you. Don't come back in a year. And I would go back and keep, you know, keep trying to say hi to folks at the squadron and they kick me out. And they say, no, go take care of yourself, go take care of family. Nobody else got that. And so you know, I, I did have to fight and swim upstream a little bit to get back into the fray. But uh, but it was an incredible experience. And I understand where they're coming from as they trying to be protective of not crashing a plane right. into into you know the ground and in in or a house. Yeah, sub recovery. sub suboptimal if that happens, right? Um, yeah. So when was the you know transition? When did that start happening for you? And when were you like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna venture out and go down this path. So. It's interesting. I got back in the cockpit and that was kind of step one to getting back to feel like myself. Um, and the, if, if you back up a little bit, I had conversations in the chemo room with all the different chemo patients and we'd all were super, super optimistic. If you know anybody that's gone through cancer, you're probably seeing them in, in their best days of their entire life, meaning that they're standing up to something that's, that's hard to understand and, and, you know, the scariest moment in their lives. And yet they're doing it because they have to, but they're still doing it. And, and you go to this chemo room and you think it'd be a bunch of people crying and, and, you know, fearful, but it's really not. It's people saying what they're going to do when they get healthy. Um, they're, they got their best foot forward and all ages, um, most of them without military background. And so they don't have that strength to fall back on. They're just finding it inside. And then you have these conversations about what you're going to do. I'm going to go start a new business. Uh, you know, I can't wait to get better. I am going to go to the Super Bowl. I'm going to go travel the world. And we all had a story. And then you come back the next week and somebody's not there. Uh, and, and so it was a very sobering experience. And when I got to the end of this, the tug for me was now I do have this second chance. Am I going to hold myself accountable? There's a lot of men and women who wanted this and talked about what they would do. And I, I got to believe that they were going to hold themselves accountable to do that. And so I said, gosh, I better, I better take this very seriously, this second chance that I was afforded and, and these others weren't. Um, and so that, that started the conversation in my mind, but I can tell you exactly when I knew that I wasn't going to stay in the cockpit because my first step was to get back in the cockpit and just prove to the world that I could, and I foreseeably could have stayed there and been very happy, but I'll never forget. I was flying close trail in a T-38. So you probably remember you're like 20 feet behind them with ship length, two ship yeah. lengths and yeah, right. Just blow the jet wash <laughs> and you do a barrel roll. So you follow lead through the sky. It looks really impressive. If you've never done it before, you're 25 feet away from another airplane, just below their jet wash and you're upside down doing a barrel roll, staying in formation with them. Looks awesome. One of the easier things that we do. Right. Um, and I remember being upside down and I looked up, which was down, of course, to the ground at that point, cause I'm inverted. And I see that there's an accident on the highway and it's a highway I got to take to get home. And I'm going through this barrel roll. And now my mind is focused on, gosh, it is going to take forever to get home today. And I'm probably going to miss this appointment. And I think I'm supposed to pick the kids up. And I'll never forget as I'm rolling out of this barrel roll, I realize I'm going 500 miles an hour in an airplane, 25 feet away from it. And I'm worried about the, the errands I have to run after work. I'm really firmly established in my comfort zone. Like this is not something that's hard for me anymore. And I promised myself I was, I was going to go have new adventures. This probably isn't the place to do it. That, uh, yeah, that's his law. It's probably highway 45, right? The main road. Uh, exactly. Country. Yeah, that was it. Yep. <laughs> that, that is incredible because again, 
as I got out of the Air Force, and not saying everyone does this, right? So there, obviously a lot of people stay in the Air Force for a lot of lot of reasons, a lot of good reasons. There are those guys who stay in, I think, because it's very comfortable. And not saying I yeah. branched out too far. So a lot of respect for people who jump out and do something completely different because it's it's super uncomfortable, it's scary. And as I was looking at doing it, again, it was a scary time. That transition period is a rough six months to two years, depending on how everything shakes out. But again, everything happens for a reason. You know, you just you just don't know what that reason is at the time. I, I feel like, at least for me, it's like some, there's a reason this is happening. I guess I'll find out in a year or five years or never, you know, it just depends. Yeah. And here you are reinventing yourself and having a public voice like this. And, and that's, and that's jumping out in, in a very vulnerable way as well. And that's, that's having a second chapter. You don't have to do it professionally for your listeners. You can do it um, through your family. You can do it through a side hustle. You can do whatever, through whatever you want. But I think the point is to figure out what are those things that you want to go pursue. And if you're just doing the easy button, because the airlines are the simplest thing in your path, then then I would question that yep. um, and and really understand it, it, what your preference would be. Because there's there's going to be a point we all have it where you look back and you see other people that made the transition and you think, gosh, that wasn't that hard. Like I could have done that. I, I I didn't know that at the time. I think that's one of our key challenges because guys like you and I went through programs for which were very very difficult. But if we just put our nose to the grindstone and we just executed they would get done, you know, and it, it was, whether that was pilot training, we knew exactly what we're doing every day right. of pilot training. And it was about chair flying the night before it was about overcoming our fears in the cockpit and getting it done, but we didn't have to invent the path. And then all of a sudden you are thinking about leaving the military and anything other than being an airline pilot is inventing the path, or at least it feels like it because we don't do a good job of having that path tread for us with the people who went before us. Right. And, and so that's new territory. And that's where I see a lot of people just kind of revert back to their comfort zone. And what I would call make the wrong decision if that's why they're doing it. hundred percent. Cause it is, again, it's a scary thing and you uh, the path of least resistance, right? That's usually the one you want to go, go down that path and, and make it easy, make it as comfortable as possible, but branching out and doing something different. I will say doing this, it's, I enjoy doing this podcast, right? But I'll tell you the worst thing for a person who hates their voice is doing a podcast and having to edit it because I get to listen to it every single time, you know, go through it. But that's that's as far as I branched out. You know, we'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> well, and you bring up a good point. It's that vulnerability. And that's what we're afraid of. Right. So cancer taught me something really important because that was my fear, too. If I put it out there, I'm going to fail in a public way. People are going to see that I have a certain brand that I want to protect. So. So you had made the comment that, you know, you, you heard, you hear your own voice and you didn't like, it, and I loved that where you're going with that. So I want to, I'm going to play off that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. So you make the comment that, you know, it's, it's hard to hear your own voice. And I think that's an important one because that, that just plays to the vulnerabilities that we all feel as we're making the transition for you. It's a specific, you're listening to yourself talk, but for the, for the rest of us, it's typically I, I'm either going to fail publicly or succeed publicly. And and we've been used to public success up until this point. And so there's a part of us that wants to maintain that brand and and want to you know keep that ego pursuing uh, mindset moving forward. The trick for me is to realize that people really aren't paying that much attention to you. The biggest <laughs> epiphany I've had in, in middle age, truly. Rain, I don't know if you've seen the same thing. Is that good or bad? People, I mean, everybody in their own heads, they're the star of their own movie. 
that we are all watching a movie where we are the star and that's what we're focused on. And so whether we have the most compelling, insightful thing to say in the world or we're making this huge failure, the people, we just don't have a role in other people's heads very often. Right. Not to say that we shouldn't act to connect with people. We really should. But we should stop being so self-absorbed. And it was these words I needed to hear too and realize that just put it out there. It's freeing. It's liberating. When you realize people aren't paying attention, you may as well do what you care about the most and tr go after your fears because you're going to hold yourself accountable. Nobody else will. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. So actually Alex Hermosi, business guy, he started some gyms, entrepreneur. He actually put this out the other day, which I really, really like because you're right. And I've thought about this most everyone is worried about their own stuff, right? And it might be the yeah. the most embarrassing thing to you, the worst day of your life, and someone might acknowledge it. And again, you're right, like don't go through life just completely ignoring giving people try to make those connections, but everyone's worried about their own stuff. So Alex said, uh, Betty White died two months ago. She was a pioneer, talented, famous, beloved. And you didn't think about her today except for this tweet. Now imagine how few will care about you passing. You're going to die. And if yep. no one will care, then no one cares. Now do what you want. And it's like, I think that's spot on. Love it. You know, it is spot on. Such an important point. You know, we spend most of our time trying to manage the perception of people that we don't care about and, and will not care about us when we're gone. And you gave a great example in Betty White, somebody who's beloved, right? I mean, everybody's talked about the Betty White death calculator and trying to push it out as far as possible. <laughs> She's just a, an icon for from the past 100 years, literally. And yet, exactly right. We haven't thought about her. So what's that mean? We can look at it a couple of ways. One, just be a hedonist and choose to do whatever you want because consequences won't really follow as long as you keep it legal. You can kind of, you know, burn every bridge, make everybody mad and do whatever you want to just be totally self-absorbed and somebody could take that from it. But I would challenge that and say, you can still have a massive impact. You just have to realize it's not going to be about you. And there's, there's a great book called The Second Mountain that I recommend everybody reads, especially if you're at my point in life mid, midway through hopefully midway through, uh, where <laughs> it's, it's about the two mountains that we pursue on our hero's journey, right? Mountain number one is a mountain of success. And it's about building our own egos. And it's about building up the things that reflect back on us. How many awards can I get? Can I be the fighter pilot that I want to be? All these things that, that raise, elevate us. The second mountain is significance. And it's very different. As you transition from success into significance, you actually fade into the background. You are much less important than the outcomes that you're driving, than the impact that you're leveraging for other people. And so it's actually the dissolution of your ego in this process. And now it'd be very easy to indict that first mountain though and say, yeah, that, that success mountain, that's just the selfish people. That's what they go for. I, that's not the point. You actually need to have some success first. You have to create and have your own success summit before you have anything that you can give for significance. And so it's a natural transition we all go through, but we have to realize that at some point it can't just be about that first mountain. You can't just be collecting awards because as you said, the person who was beloved in, you know, of, of all people in the world at her age, at Betty White, nobody even knows, talks about her at this point. You'll hear her mentioned one more time this right. year and then probably never again for the rest of your life. But here's what, here's what remains. Maya Angelou said, people don't remember what you say. They don't remember what you do but they will remember how you make them feel. And so your impact can last in how you make people feel. And that's the charge that I have for myself and, and, and for others. Do whatever you want in the rest of your life. Right. And it easier said than done, but I think it, everyone hits at a different point. I know for me, 
especially in the beginning part of my flying days, you are chasing the next assignment, which is, all right, I have to perform well. I have to be the number one at this. I have to get this award. I have to do that. And I remember for me, it was actually when I was going through the F-16 schoolhouse, I was talking to a buddy. And let's just say, like, hypothetically, if the chief of staff of the Air Force, so the four-star who runs the Air Force, if that was the pinnacle, right, if that's how you define winning, and not saying that's how you define winning, but as an example, that's very few people have held that position. And in my mind, I was like looking and thinking, I was like, what did he have to do in order to get to that spot? Like what sacrifices he had to make? And that's it's a very noble thing to do, right? Yeah. But for me, I was looking as like, I, I could tell you probably two or three chiefs, and those were the ones I served underneath. Yeah. And I, no kidding. I couldn't tell you, you know, if you ran into one from the you know, 1980 to 1984, no idea, right? And so you have this entire lifespan. And then for me, that was kind of the, I wouldn't say the aha moment, but you start to realize what is important in life, at least from my perspective, right? Which was my family. That's where I'm going to have the greatest impact. That's where the legacy is going to be left. Like my son and now your twins, like they'll have no idea what the FGO of the quarter was or the, you know, the IP yeah. of the, like no idea, but it's so easy to get wrapped up in that. And again, not saying that stuff's not important because there are people out there doing the mission and making things happen. And those are, that's, that's good stuff. But if you think that is all that's in life, and I think that translates across the theme we're talking about here, in my opinion, there's a lot more out there and it's easy to get wrapped up. And what I would say is noise or could be yeah. considered noise at times. Beautifully said. And I couldn't agree more. And you know, the, it's such an important point. And, and, and like you said, before the listeners hear that and say, well, I, I mean, I guess I won't be chief of staff of the Air Force. Wait, that's that's a right. incredibly significant role. Yes. And you can have a massive impact on this enormous scale. But just make sure you're not doing it for you. Because I can name maybe two chiefs right. of staff, maybe two chiefs of staff. Um, yeah, I don't even, I can't even name two. And so <laughs> have they had an impact? Yes. Right. But just realize it's the impact that perseveres, not you. So if you're doing this to become an icon, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If you're doing this to help an idea spread, now you have an opportunity to do something amazing. The thing I think we all need to realize, here's an example from my life. So I, I, I did an Ironman triathlon a couple of years ago for the five-year anniversary of cancer. And uh, I had never run a marathon before. My last bike said Huffy on it. Uh, I had... <laughs> A, uh, I was a terrible swimmer. I'd never swam more than two laps, two laps. If I was lucky in a pool. Um, and, and so here I was about to go on this massive, you know, Ironman triathlon, 112 miles on the bike two and two miles and something on in a swim and then a marathon at the end. And, uh, and so every morning I'd wake up and I would initially do it for the haters. So at 4am when I'd have to wake up, I think about all those people in my career who told me I wouldn't amount to anything. I think about those doctors who said I would be dead. I'd think about those people who had told me I wouldn't be able to accomplish what I knew I could. And it was great. It would it'd be light a fire in my belly and I would get up and I would, you know, get a little anger going and I'd be super tired and I'd force myself to still get up and go work out. But here's the thing. After about three months of that, one morning I woke up and I had this epiphany. And I think it's one we all have where I tried to let that voice of the haters spur me on to go do something. And I realized, I don't care what the haters think. I don't give a shit what some <laughs> guy back at the academy told me that, you know, why I wouldn't make it in the Air Force or what I, how I wasn't going to be a good leader. I don't care what that person thinks. 
And it's a really important epiphany. And the, and the point is not to roll back over necessarily and go to sleep. The point is you have a choice in that moment and you get to decide, was I doing this for the wrong reasons? And if so, roll over, go back to sleep, spend the morning with your family, make breakfast for them and invest in them. Or if you realize there's something in this for me, now you can get up with a new motivation. And so for me, that, that's, I did find my personal why in that moment. And it had nothing to do with anybody else. I got up and I continued training. And now this, the fire was much stronger inside of me because I was doing it for the right reasons. And, and I think that's an important transition we all have to make at some point as well. Which what would your advice be to someone who maybe is on the fence there? They're hearing this and realizing things. Because in today's society, I think it's very tough to not get wrapped up you know, between all the you know, news, social media, the, all the influencing that's, that's going around, it is tough not to get wrapped up on what other people think. Yeah. And maybe that's, yeah, like you said, it's the haters are driving me, but why? Like, I think by giving them the credence and the energy, like they're driving me, like they don't care about you. They wake up yeah. and they, they're doing their own thing, right? They're hating on someone else. It, it doesn't, you know, so what would your advice be to someone who's maybe on the fence here? Like, how do you overcome that? Is that something that's easy to do? Yeah. So the question, I think I'm going to change it up a little bit and say, how does somebody find out what their authentic passions are? How does somebody figure out what are the true pursuits that are, that are theirs and theirs alone? And they're not doing it just to beat the other guy to weapon school or to get, you know, get the next upgrade or fill in the blank with whatever you have going on in your life that is you're just doing it to be competitive. And, and what I say to those folks, they, they typically say it to me this way. They'll say, it's easy for you to find your why. You're a fighter pilot. You're a CEO of a company. I mean, it's easy to be passionate about those things. You know, I, I can't figure out what I want to do in my life. And I just don't, I'm not that connected to a sense of purpose. My, my, my comment to them every single time is, you already know what you should do. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid of the outcome, if you weren't afraid of failing? Everybody has something that's on the other side of the fear. They don't like to look on the other side of the fear because that's the life that they know they could have and they don't like to pursue because that fear is a big brick wall. And when we look at it, it's, it's overwhelming and scary. And it's a lot easier to go down this path that's been tread before. And I'm much more comfortable with that. And I'll probably be able to manage your perception of me if I do that. But on the other side of that wall of fear is our best life. And very often, that's a life we don't get access to because we let that wall stay up there. And so fear is a gift. Fear, fear either points you away from the cliff or it points you towards your best life. And when we're honest about what we would do if we weren't afraid, that's very often telling on what is exactly the thing we should do in life. I love that. And I think it's, it's spot on because it is. It's a barrier there. Like if you didn't worry about, well, if I go do this and I fail, well... I'm not going to be able to pay the house, pay, whatever it might be, right? That, that is the barrier. That's a perfect way of looking at it because if that's what you would be doing because you want to do it, but you're scared to get there, breaking through that door, easier said than done. But it's one of those things that you just, I don't know. You Well, you either do it or you don't, but. Is it pay now, pay later kind of thing? Because yeah. someday you'll hold yourself accountable. Just like I did when I thought I was dying at 33. And all of a sudden I said, there was so much more I wanted to do in life. And I've been, if I'm being honest, I was coasting the last couple of years and I liked signing autographs at the flybys and I like going to the air shows and I like being called a hero by all these people, but I didn't really feel like I was living up to that, but it sure felt good. Yeah. So I'm going to let that coast and, and just feed my ego for a while. And now when my life was conceivably over it, that was the worst part is that I didn't get to swing at any more pitches. And when I couldn't care less about the world, see me strike out. 
there, there's another great phrase that this is the definition of hell that on the day you die, the person you became meets the person you could have become. And I think about that a lot. That's there's, there's a tension there for all of us. Cause we all know our potential. If we're being super honest. These answers come easily. This is not, this is just stuff we don't like to talk about. Yep. It's not that it's not there. We know the answers. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's there and it's a tough thing to do, but you're either going to do it or you're not. And like you said, I think that's a great, I, I, I have, I've heard that quote too, is like, you'll meet what you could have been right on the other side. And then you either have regrets or you won't have regrets. What for you, because you obviously transitioned into a non-flying thing, which again, for 99% of the dudes is something that's completely foreign and scary, but you've recently just gone through another transition in life. What was kind of the preferences? What, what led to transition and how, how's that going so far? Yeah. So it's, it's going fantastic, but I'll tell you what led up to it was, uh, worked at afterburner for almost a decade. It was the time of my life. I got to work with uh, the best people in the world, the former Navy SEALs, the Rangers, the, the fighter pilots, the, the generals, the former weapons officers, like literally I had to pinch myself. Cause if you think about all the people that we connected with and the best briefers and the, and just the most compelling leaders, they, they would walk through the halls of, of afterburner. And, and I, it was just such an awesome opportunity. And so I did that for almost a decade. We hit the pandemic and now I'm starting to think about, well, I'm going to hold myself accountable to uh, my own life path that I want to fulfill, which is to never stay anywhere too long. And we're at a, an inflection point at Afterburner where we had to hit pause on all of our live work and the things that we're doing out in front of people and the pandemic stopped all that. We did a great job of turning the corner. We did everything virtually. I showed you some of the, you know, the video work we had to create behind the scenes to have a compelling emotional engagement in a virtual setting. We did that. Super proud of the team. But now it was up to me and the team to have a conversation about what's next. And there are opportunities from both sides to say, we think there's a path forward that where the team can go pursue a software styled CEO that can build out software and really build out the, the foundation they have. And I have an opportunity to continue to advocate for them, stay a partner and continue being on that, that path to support them, but now go take a different role inside of a company. Cause I knew that was the path I wanted to pursue in my next chapter. So afterburner, from, hey, I'm getting out of the Air Force to starting an afterburner. How long was that transition period? So I got out of the Air Force in 2014, but I spent two years as an afterburner 1099. Okay. Afterburner is the easiest launch pad you could ever have leaving the military because one, you don't even have to leave the military to do it yet. So you get to try before you buy it's, it's, it's I would argue even easier than joining the airlines because before you leave, you get to go be a part of the company and the team. And so I would go on business trips. I would put on a suit. I was used to wearing a flight suit my entire life. I'd go sit down with the CEO of a big company. They would listen to me. Um, and of course, I didn't get everything right at first. And there's a lot to learn. But I had two years to figure out what the blind spots were and what I was good at and whether or not this would be an easy landing. So it, it really, I, I was more confident in my ability to transition into Afterburner than I would have been even to go to the airlines by that point because I'd invested so much time into it. And Afterburner, when you're going through, what is a day in the life when you walk into a company, what is Afterburner doing for these, these corporations? Yep. So we're effectively taking their teams who are functional leaders. And by functional leaders, I mean, you have great sales leaders, you have great marketers, you have great product leaders, and you're helping to translate their functional, very technical skills into strategic outcomes. Because one of the things that's lacking in the corporate environment is strategic leadership. 
And I'm not saying they're not leaders. They're good leaders. But remember that leadership is, is a path. It's repeated behaviors, right? It's something that leaders are created. Um, I firmly believe that. It's just exhibiting the right behaviors again and again. They are not trained on those behaviors because that's not the limiting factor initially. If you come up with the next Facebook, you don't have to be that great of a leader in order to have product market fit and just to get that product out there as quickly as possible. You really have to just have those technical skills. Right. And so now you have, you reach a stopping point though, where you've created all this bloat in your company where it's, it's disorganized um, and there's, it's unstructured. And now to scale to the next level, you run into this brick wall where you realize I can't make it any further without leadership. Now I need to activate this team horizontally and not just up these vertical stovepipes. And I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Enter Afterburner. You bring in a bunch of operators, a bunch of leaders who have had to lead in the most dynamic, high stakes, complex environments on earth, on the battlefield, um, with these amazing real life stories of these Navy SEALs and battle and what they had to do to earn the trust of these Afghani tribes and these Green Berets. And just, I mean, literally you had to pinch yourself every time you heard these stories. And now you go into a company and they're trying to create a partnership with Microsoft or something. And they're worried because Microsoft is a bit of a competitor too. And the Green Bray says, try this in my world. You walk into an Afghani village and you got to make alignment with that team. You can do this with Microsoft. Yeah. Let me show you how. And, and here's the plan. <laughs> so going in there too, what, I mean, obviously there's a lot of success for Afterburner going in. But in my mind, outsider looking in, there are definitely had to be some challenges when you go into a company. I imagine there is some resistance for people who have, I'm good. I don't need this to, and then how do you convey that? How do you get people on board from, you know, walking in day one on Monday to when you leave, what does the transformation process look like? Great question. So, I would say up front, you don't meet that much, much resistance. There's very few people who are like, I'm good. I don't, I don't need your help at all. But the challenge to overcome is that when you first meet them, they want to buy you a beer. They don't necessarily want you in the boardroom yet, right? I mean, they all get that you have amazing stories. You've done these incredible things, things they can't believe and imagine. And you have this character and integrity that they just don't understand. You know, there's there, there, few examples where they don't have that affinity for the military, but we didn't run into that very often. You'd be surprised. I mean, I would, I would go to Germany or we had, you know, events in Saudi Arabia even, and they'd still have an appreciation for the people that were the war fighters, regardless of pol politics, for the same reason we business leaders read Sun Tzu, right? Thousands of years old, it's the art of war, but those, those principles transcend the battlefield and, and they can help you be successful. But you did hit on something, and that is in order to be credible, you have to speak their language. And so as you think, if you're, if you're, if you're a transitioning vet right now and you're wondering, what's, what do I need to know to be successful? I'd say two things you need to be aware of as you transition into the business world uh, to be successful. One, you have more to offer them than you could possibly imagine, because the limiting factor for many businesses' success is the ability to translate a plan to immediate actions with accountability, with buy-in, with alignment. And that's what you're best at. You, you've built that alignment, whether it's that red flag with 25 allied countries or in theater, you've done this already. You, don't, you may not even know how valuable or how much you've done it, but you've done it. Right. And, and so you have this skill set through experience, which is the best teacher of all. You didn't just study this in a, in a classroom. And so you can help out businesses more than you could ever imagine. The second piece of advice that I give these same transitioning veterans is you are not prepared to help out businesses today. 
So it's the, the opposing advice on two sides. One, you're, you're more prepared than you can ever imagine <laughs> to, to help out these businesses and lead in a really meaningful way. But two, never underestimate how much you're going to have to reinvent yourself to really be sticky and to move from being the guy they want to buy a beer for to the one they want to bring in the boardroom. Because when you go into that environment, you're great. We know you're a war hero. You're a superhero. You've done these amazing things. But if you think you're just coasting on that and you're listening them to them talk about sales pipeline and the, the marketing heat map and all these other things that just don't make sense to you, they're speaking Spanish. You speak Portuguese. It sounds the same. It's not. You got to learn a new language. I'm sorry to say it because for many of you, you kind of hope to just keep coasting or right. worse, you said I'm retired. F that. You're not retired. Nobody's <laughs> retired after 20 years of working. You're hitting your stride. This right. is the most important part of your professional career. So instead of saying that, say, I'm reinventing myself again, just like I did to become a Green Beret, just like I did to become a Navy SEAL, just like I did to become a fighter pilot. Put yourself through your own version of business buds and, and business FTU, and now force yourself to, to go down that path and learn and absorb everything, which is realize you're going to shoot by your peers faster than you can ever imagine because of advice number one, you, they need you more than they realize. So was that two years of you being a 1099 employee where you were cutting your teeth, the OJT, figuring out balance sheets and how to speak the language? Yeah. Two, two years of being a 1099 employee and getting my MBA at the same time. And, and look, you don't need to go back to school if you don't want to, but I did this while I was active duty. So I'm getting my executive MBA and working as a 1099 and taking my leave to do both. Uh, and that's just how much I wanted it. I knew, and that's, the two times in my life that were the hardest were FTU in terms of professional work, FTU, and then uh, reinvented myself to enter the business world. I had to create my own FTU again. It wasn't harder than FTU. That FTU was super hard, uh, but uh, but I had to realize that that's what it would take for me to be credible in this new environment. So now transition to VMware again. That's I imagine a big pivot point. Is uh, is that? something that is a, is a big challenge for you to pivot and do something different in this new role? It's an easier transition. Now mm -hmm. it's the equivalent of moving from an F-15 to an F-16. There's certainly a lot of training and you have to you know learn a lot in order to fly the new plane. And there's going to be some negative habit patterns here and there. But for the most part, now you just get to you know take on this new role and, and bring a lot of what you learned in the previous chapter. I, I'm, I'm confident I'll have to reinvent myself again and, I, and I, to some extent, I had to in this new role, but it w wasn't nearly as dramatic as I had to to become a fighter pilot or to become a business leader in my first job. Are you guys still virtual or are you in the office? A lot of people are virtual. I make a huge effort to be in the office. So in terms of my investment, I travel to California at least once a week. Our headquarters is in Palo Alto in Silicon okay. Valley. Uh, I'll be there on Thursday. I was there last Friday. I was there the previous three weeks before that. Very few other people are there right now, and there's there's something magical about getting back together and seeing you know the the, the maskless uh, employees that you work with, <laughs> right. and, and so I highly recommend doing it. it it's it's it, people need it. We don't yeah. we have crossed so far into this crazy territory. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. Well, that was kind of the thing too. Is like transition to this. I can't imagine transitioning in a world where it's all virtual because to me, we live in the same town, right? And like. One day we'll get together. We're on the north side, south side, but not, you know, there's something about being in person that yep. it makes it so much easier and transitioning to role that you're in now. To me, that seems like that'd be very challenging to do if you're doing it over a computer screen or a telephone all the time versus doing it in person. I had the luxury of getting to know this company as a customer for a long time. 
Uh, they were our best customer. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with their CEO. I went to Antarctica with their CEO. Uh, he's, he was just brought out at the latest State of the Union address uh, and raised his hand and waved to the crowd. He's an incredible individual named Pat Gelsinger. He's a mentor of mine. And so I had the luxury of getting to know these folks very well and other companies very well, and then kind of picking at this point. So it, 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 not that this has to be a big Afterburner plug the entire time, but that was another great reason to work at Afterburner because you, you have the choice of where you want to go in your next chapter as, as you're learning about business. Well, I know we'll have to tell a few Eagle stories here or there, but to me, it's very interesting to hear this um, because again, it's such a different path for most people to take. And I, again, I have so much respect for it because you are throwing yourself out there and you're doing something so foreign and so different, taking a risk, going through that door of fear, you know, to see what's on the other side, because it might not have worked out, but you have now, or what you're 12 years into this or so, 10 years into it and having success. So like it turns out if you do take the risk and step through the door and you put your skills to use in a good way, there's a chance it could turn out and work out pretty well for you. Yeah. And, and I, the other thing I want to emphasize is that it, it wasn't easy. And so uh, I, I think if you look at social media, you only get a bit of the Superman effect and you see like, you know, people's highlight reels and, yeah. and the things they want to share with you. So to give you a little idea of what, what did the path look like and what did I have to persevere through as people are considering this? So even after I made the decision that I was going to have this business chapter and I was going to put it out there and it's going to take on my fears, didn't make the fears go away. Right. So I can tell you times when I was backstage before giving a presentation to a couple thousand people and just being, you know, almost paralyzed with fear as I'm about to walk out there and be under the hot lights and forget what I'm going to say and, and have all these challenges. Or another time where it wasn't a thousand people, it was like eight in a boardroom. And I remember having to grab the table because I felt like I was going to pass out uh, because it was just an overwhelming situation. I was just not used to it. And I'm thinking, how is this possible? I briefed a red flag. I did all of these things in my previous chapter. You just got to get over the fact that there's fear and screwing up and being bad at things when you reinvent yourself. And that's part of it. And that's part of the fear. And it's going to feel like the fear is reinforced through those, those negative outcomes. And you just got to plug through it. And I walked out of the room, composed myself. It was embarrassing. I guarantee you not one of those people remembers it. I remember it, but that doesn't matter that because these other people don't too. That goes back to what we we're saying earlier. Right. They, they have no recollection of that whatsoever. And, and because I built on that, I've had the successes later. Ah, I love it. And that is, again, one of those things that it's such an incredible journey to hear from everything that you've overcome to turning this into success, right? I mean, turning everything into success. And I know it always, it hasn't been easy. And like you said too, social media or what you see from the outside, like, ah, it's winning, it's winning, it's winning. But there's a lot of, there can be turmoil behind that, you know? So again, it's not always a rosy picture. I think a lot of people want to picture, you know, you always want to present your best to the yeah. outside world. And that's not always the case. There's everyone's taking a lot of licks and bumps along the way to get there. 100%. So now this new venture you're doing, what is a day in the life in your current role? Yeah, the current role, I'm operating in the office of the CEO for this company, fourth largest software company in the world, probably the largest software company that you've never heard of, VMware. And uh, we're looking to change that. It's, it's a, it, a, one of the main reasons I joined is this incredible culture, very humble, um, very giving, very collaborative, just this great behind the scenes environment that I didn't see anywhere else. And so one of the things we want to do in our next chapter 
is, is take all of these great technology that we have acquired over the past 10 years, all these great products that we have that are in the background for just about every company, you know, our install base and our customers, literally any company you can think of, we're in it um, and, and helping them in a meaningful way. But because it's a humble culture, we don't lean on that and our marketing doesn't lead with that piece of it. As we transition into our next chapter, it's less about the products and more about leading outcomes. And so the example I'll give you and what that means is in our previous chapter, we're selling technology to technology enthusiasts, people who want to hear, hear about the, the bits and bytes and the zeros and ones and the specs and features, and, and they geek out about that and they love it. In this chapter, every CEO I know is looking to leverage technology as their competitive advantage, but they don't really know what that means. They just, it's kind of their buzzword, right? A digital transformation. They're right. It can be their competitive advantage, but they don't quite know how, and they need a team that's going to come in and not talk in technical terms, but is going to talk in terms of their outcomes that just happens to include the technology. And it has to integrate well into their existing systems. And it has to have a time to value that's fast. And they, can, they have to be able to see the line of sight to impact. That's a very different way of going to market than, than we did previously. My team and teams like mine within VMware are helping to accelerate this journey internally, helping to transform the culture, helping to transform the operating model so we can meet the customers more and more often where they're at and where they're needed uh, for this conversation. So one thing I saw in my transition as I was exploring doing different things and part of it was going into the tech world, not being like I have an iPhone, right? That's as technical as I get and have a MacBook, but translating user requirements, a mission requirement, what is the desired end state, speaking some kind of technical ease, I think that's an official word, from the guys who are actually building the software, building the hardware, and actually giving the end user something they need for their mission requirement. Because it might be a gee whiz, that's awesome. But when it comes to mission objectives, this is not needed. Is there, yeah. I mean, is there balances that you're finding yourself doing? Because I imagine you're probably not a computer scientist. It's, but you're able to speak the technical aspect of it to translate between a user need and what the engineers are creating. Do you find yourself in that scenario at all? 100%. And, and once again, I had to learn a new language and I had to be comfortable with the fact that I'm not going to know it right away. And I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I've had the opportunity to have them as a customer. So a lot of it I knew, but I, but it was, it, it, once again, it's a new language. I would say it's just as difficult as learning Spanish or German uh, or something else that that's going to require you to converse in, with people differently. But once you do that, you become so much more valuable because you bring in these adjacent skill sets, those technical leaders didn't have the operator experience that you have. And so when you come in and you talk about building alignment with these other groups and working backwards from outcomes, you have a perspective and experience that they only understand philosophically or from an academic standpoint, and you're able to get things done much faster. I'll give you the example in the flying world that, that I love. So the, the mistake that we could make at VMware right now is to focus too much on product and not enough about how it integrates into outcomes with a customer. The example from the military that I use is when they're designing the F-35, one of the things that they were pushing out was uh, this, the touchscreen that they had. Uh, and, and they were all excited about it because it was like an iPad. iPad was just coming out at the time. They thought it was this brilliant idea, but it's a perfect example of over-rotating on product conversations and geeking out about the technology and completely missing right. the user and the experience and the outcomes that you're looking to drive. And all it took was one pilot looking at this and saying, I can't hold my 
600 pound arm up and, and push that button when I'm under G what, I mean, do you literally not talk to anybody right. before this? And, and it's, and you think, how does that still happen? We just got done making a great F 22. We designed the F 15 before that. How did, how did we miss that? It's because we get so siloed. This is the problem with the corporate world. Uh, this is the challenge we can all fall into. We, we get into our own little myopic view of the world and we miss these other perspectives that we should be looking at. Operators are good at helping to be the connective tissue between those conversations. Do you ever find yourself, is it difficult for you to ask questions? Do you worry about your credibility if you don't know something to ask questions, you know, in a, in a technical environment, whatever it might be, as you land yourself in these new situations, I say new situations, again, something foreign than the cockpit. No, I th here's, here's what I've learned, Rain. Um, w when people wanted to sound smart, but weren't really smart in the flying world, not, not, not smart, but they weren't necessarily the, the ones you wanted to listen to because they just hadn't put it all together. They're going to use a lot of highfalutin words. They're going to tell you about Bernoulli's theorem and the, the boundary layer separation and all these big things. And I used to listen to them as, as my instructor pilots and think, I'll never catch up to what you know. I will never understand what, what you do. What I missed was they just knew the language. Right. They, didn't, they didn't know how to apply it. And this is how they were hiding it. The best instructor made it Sesame Street simple. The best instructor was the one you meet in the bar afterwards. And of course, this is a very complex conversation. And of course, Bernoulli's theory applies and all of these things exist. But he would say, here's the three things you need to do next time. And you write them down on a napkin. And if you did those, it would work. <laughs> and so the short, the long, short answer to your question is, do I have things that I you know that I don't understand? Absolutely. I've got a, a whiteboard back here where I put all the things I hear each week and I don't understand them. And I have leaders that I go talk to and say, just define this for me. So I'd, I'd, I'd make sure that we're speaking the same language, but I don't let the language stand between me and outcomes either. And, and I make sure that I'm talking from an outcomes perspective and not just let's have a vocabulary um, stump the dummy dialogue. Right. Yeah, full of buzzwords. And I kind of bring that up because when I was a FAPE going through Pitt, there was a C-model guy going through. Yeah. And it's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. He asked a million questions. And you would yep. sit in class and it'd be the simplest thing and he would ask about it. But what it, what it taught me very early on was, I mean, very smart individual coming from a fighter, he wasn't afraid to ask questions when, you know, most people are like, ah, I'm going to feel stupid or I'm going to look stupid in, in, in front of the class, you know? And so I kind of take yeah. that mentality forward is, you know, asking those questions and not, and actually building a core base of knowledge, something that's genuine versus I can pick up on these buzzwords and throw those around. Because again, if I got thrown into a tech company right now, I probably could pick up on the buzzwords faster than I could actually the core knowledge of what's happening but that's where that's where the rubber meets the road, and knowing that, I think makes it successful. And you you hit the nail on the head because it's questions that you should be asking, and you should realize that the first step to mastery is being terrible at something. And so you need to ask those questions. You need to be terrible at it. The, you need to avoid the other side of that coin, which is to show up and feel like you have all the answers too. So I love that you pose that as the way you show up is asking questions and listening, seek first to understand, uh, because that's the critical piece. At some point, you can apply all the other things you've learned and we want to hear from you then. I love that the eagle guy was not the arrogant one in the class who felt like he knew everything. Non-standard. Uh, non <laughs> yeah, sometimes our <laughs> reputation, but, uh, but that's perfect. Yeah, ask questions, look like the dummy, because guess what? That's the first person who's not going to be the dummy uh, once they've gotten all those questions out of the way. Yeah, I love it. All right, quick transition here. Do you miss being out of the cockpit? No, uh, I did everything I wanted to in the cockpit and not to say I was a master of it, not to say I was the best at it, not to say that there weren't more things I could have done, 
But going back to this conversation around what do you want out of life? Life is finite, man. You don't have that much longer to you. Each of us has about 15 good producing years left. Doesn't mean we can't sit on boards after that and, you know, own a bunch of companies and do fun things then. And it'd be very, very fun. But in terms of the execution side of it, you don't have that long. And so you have to decide like, what is good enough for me? And, and it, you're not hanging it up. I, I'm not sitting in a bar talking about high school football or flying the fighter jets way back in the day and how great it was because I moved on to something that's just as challenging yeah. and just as uplifting and elevating for me. I love those stories. I love those experiences, but I also love you know the fear I get and the growth I get in, in my new role right now. I love it. And again, that is something I've said, I'm still around it a good bit, you know, and you're, you're flying with guys who are 60, 64, 65, you know, getting ready to time out and, some guys have a bunch of other ventures and things like that on the, on the side. I have a story. I flew with a gentleman who was retiring after this last trip. Uh, it was about a year ago on this trip we were on. And it took a couple legs to find out this was his retirement. He was an Eagle guy. Been flying big planes for a while. And then I find out he's retiring. I'm like, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. Like, do you have any hobbies? No. Like, I mean, there was nothing. You're like, ah, this after you know, 40 plus years of flying and doing things like no passions, no hobbies. You're like, well, I tell you who I don't want to be right. It's like, I don't want to be you here because you, one, you don't seem that happy. And two, I don't know how, how you would be. And it's kind of like one of those things like, was it a wasted life? I don't know. I'm sure he was a great father and things, but man, there's, there's different ways to live in life, you know, and everyone's got a different path, but teach their own, I suppose. Yeah. I flew last week. I went out to the Sky Combat Ace folks and we recorded a video for 40,000 employees. And it's a really fun, engaging video while I'm doing hammerheads and loops and stuff. And, and, and so it was good to get back in the cockpit. I wouldn't schedule it again next week. It wasn't that big of a deal. I'd done a, a billion loops by this point. But what's really fun is thinking about how that translates into this chapter. And that's what I would challenge folks to do. Don't abandon it. It was a great first chapter. Lean into it. You, you did things that most people just dream about, literally. But then do things that most people dream about in your next chapter, too. And not to impress them, not to, not to build right. your ego, to impress yourself, to build your adventure. What, did you, what do you want your life resume to say when you're done here? What impact do you want to make? And, and there's always something new once we look at it from that perspective. Stick and rudder skills are great. Translate that into something else. Thor, I really... Uh... A lot of profound statements here and not to like make ourselves feel good, but I've enjoyed this before we like wrap up. I do like to ask my guests, you know, if you found 15, 16 year old Thor walking down the street, is there something you would tell him to do differently or advice you would give him? Yep. I would say um, embrace discipline right now. And by discipline, I mean, pick the things that make you uncomfortable a little bit a day, whether that's reading, whether that's working out, whether that's uh, skipping dessert, whether that's doing some of these things that sounds super boring and, and like the, the least interesting life ever. And what you'll realize is that that discipline applies to other things that you want later on. And you, you get to tap into that for the cool things in life. I, I have every opportunity to go sit on a beach at this point and drink my ties. I choose not to do that because I get more fulfillment out of doing the other things in my life. We'll, we realize I have a, I have a, uh, a comic on my, on my wall right here that you can't see. And it's, it's of a person in two different scenarios. In the first scenario, he's, he's sitting down uh, in front of the TV and he says, he's got a beer in his hand. He's got food. He says, I got some time off. Life's great. This rocks. And then the next panel is him just totally burned out after watching TV for eight hours and saying, I'm not doing anything with my life. Life sucks. 
The next part of it is a person sitting down to write a paper and says, I have to write this paper. Life sucks. And then the next panel is saying, this is inspired. This is my voice. I can't believe I communicated this. This rocks. And, and the whole point is that, and then the reason I picked that comic out of the millions that I've seen at this point to put on my wall is to remind myself that the activation energy is never fun. And you always have to find it within you and the discipline to get past the first hurdle. But after that, life is amazing. Like if you force yourself to be uncomfortable in the right ways, not like a masochist, but in a way that's <laughs> you know going after your fear every single day, then you're going to do amazing things. And here's the thing I wish I would have known at 16 as well. When you create good habits, they're just as hard to break as the bad habits. So I have a friend of mine who's he's on the Forbes 50 list, top richest guys in the world. He's an impact guy. He's a significance guy. He doesn't need to work anymore. He still does. He's about to have knee surgery. And I met with him on a Zoom call last week and he was all bummed out because he's not going to be able to work out for a month. And he said, man, I don't know how I'm going to, what am I going to do with my time? I'm going to have knee surgery. I'm going to be stuck watching TV all day. That's just not my way. And I'm listening to this. I'm thinking that's what happens when you build good habits? He's not doing this for anybody else. He doesn't care about his beach body. He's not you know, all the, the Instagram moments. This is just him. This is his lifestyle. And because he's reinforced that for so many years, this is his happy place. As opposed to somebody else who would be told you get to sit on the couch for a month, they would say, woohoo, you know, right. party time. That's what I've been waiting for. And it's only because we didn't establish those good habits. Scientists say it takes about 66 days for our brains to accept a habit. So we're 66 days away right now, you know, beginning of the summer, we could have a bunch of new good habits that will never leave us for the rest of our lives, or at least would be very difficult to break if we tried to. That's powerful. I watch other people that are successful and I used to say, that looks horrible. I'm loving drinking my beer over here and just sitting back. And what I missed was they didn't put an effort anymore to sustain what I was watching. I love it. Dor, thank you for joining me today, sharing some stories. It was good just, again, hear that and be able to finally connect. And hopefully next time we can do it in person. Absolutely, brother. This has been a long time coming. I've admired you and your show for so long. Love what you do. And uh, let's go have this conversation in person next time. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Again, you can swing over to the afterburnpodcast.com. You'll find links to Patreon over there. You can watch this episode as well as Afterburn Podcast shop. Until next time, don't bring a week.